It's the greatest determination for somebody um, following God or, or, or choosing not to follow God out of all the things out there is you. And that's a hard truth when we begin to think about it, um, that, that the person that has the greatest impact on the people in your world is you. Um, and, and God's given us great resources, right? We have the, the living, breathing word of God. It's that thing that you set on your coffee table as a coaster, right? God's word has been presented to us. But the thing that's going to have the greater impact on your neighbor is not the book that you don't read, but the conversations that you have, whether they're positive or, or negative, right? The greatest, I'm gonna say that again, the greatest determining factor in somebody finding God or not finding God is us. And, and I know in my own life, the reason this is important is because I was once so far from God. And when I'm far from God, I'm, I'm far from who God wants me to be. I struggle in, in my recovery, right? I was lost in addiction. And many of us in here maybe struggled with substance abuse. And, and many of you that don't struggle with substance abuse, you have other things in your life that, that sin has penetrated, that has impacted you in a negative way, and you found yourself needing something more, right, in realizing that God is the answer. And the thing that brought you here, the thing that brought you here probably didn't start with the Bible. It probably didn't start with a miracle or some type of manifestation. It probably started with a conversation with somebody that was close to you, somebody who you interacted with, and that person began to draw you in. And over time, Though that person didn't save you, they were the catalyst, right? They were the thing that began to, to sway you and to move you towards the things of God so your life could be impacted, so your life could be changed, right? Your story could be different. God leverages people in our lives. God leverages us in other people's lives. And again, the greatest determining factor in someone finding God or not finding God is us, Christ is the visible image of an invisible God, and we are too. We are too. The way that we, we talk to those around us, the way that we speak to those around us, the way that we love or choose not to love, uh, the way that we drive, all of those things begin to reveal God to other people, whether we want it to or not. It's just the truth of the matter. And, and we're called to live differently, right? Because we're called to live differently. Nobody wants to go back to those dark places we come from and, and being lost in depression or, or any of those things are struggling and addiction. We don't want to go back to that. But as we come out of it, we should want to bring people with us, right? We should want to impact our families. You know, one of the greatest parts of my story is not the fact that, that God did a great work in me. It's the family members that have come with me, right? I now get to enjoy service with my sister, right? And our relationship has grown and my brother-in-law and when we come here and, and then my whole um, herd of children, they, they come too, right? And it's such a beautiful thing and it's so much better because I'm not here alone, right? That, that I've, I've brought friends here. And now I've begun to try to reach back into those, those places I came from decades ago and find people from that season of life too and bring them here because it, it's better together, right? And, and I, I feel more love and I feel more support and it's the thing that we're called to do, right? It's the greatest calling is that we would be the visible image of an invisible God. I want my life, I want my life to be so attractive that those who don't know God but know me will wanna know God. I'm going to say that one more time. I want my life to be so attractive that those who don't know God but know me will want to know God. 
That's the thing that should awaken the people around us. They, they could be so far from God, agnostic, right? Just don't believe anything, don't want to believe anything, but they see your life impacted, that they begin to question their beliefs. Maybe there's something to this Jesus thing after all. I mean, Aaron used to be such a piece of crap and, and such a womanizer, and, and now look at him. He's slightly less of a piece of crap, right? I mean, that's the thing that happens, and hopefully that's your story, that people look at you and like, man, you're a little less of a pain in my butt. What happened? And you can tell them, hey, listen, I, I came to church, and I experienced this Jesus fellow. Let me tell you about him because I hate you a little less, and, and maybe you can hate me a little less, and it's a beautiful thing. Our lives should be that attractive to other people that they begin to question what they believe and what they think. My younger brother, um, I remember there, there was a time where he declared himself um, to just be agnostic. I mean, there's just nothing. And I remember it was a moment before I got to baptize him. And, you know, he doesn't come to church on a regular basis now. But we had that moment. And one of the things that, that drew him in here is he looked at my life and my younger sister's life. And he says, I don't know if God's real, but, but I know what's happened in their lives. And your life is real. Like, that's true. Right? And, and he couldn't deny that. He couldn't deny change, and people can't deny change in your life. Now, we should live in a way that draws people into the church. Tonight's message is titled this, Salty and Lit. Say salty and lit. And not the kind of salty and lit that you used to be, right, when you're far from Jesus. We're not talking about the RBF or too many beers, right? We're talking about being salt and light. Salt and light for Jesus. And we get that from Matthew 5. You know, Jesus, he has the Sermon on the Mount. He opens with the Beatitudes. And as he transitions from the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 13, it says this, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it's lost its favor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Right, that God calls us to be salt seasoning in the world around us. And God calls us to impact the world around us and he uses this type of terminology. Now, it may be lost on us today because I believe that, that Satan has infiltrated like the medical community and he's made salt a bad thing, right? My doctor's like, you need to have less salt. And I'm like, man, I'm a Jesus follower. What are you talking about? I'm called to be salt. Clearly, I need more salt. And that's clearly a work of the devil. But God has called us, right? To be salt seasoning, salt adds flavor. That's an obvious meaning, right? That's obvious. It's a, it's a flavor enhancing additive. And so if we're called to be salt, what should we do? We should enhance God's creation in a healthy way, right? We should begin to bring it out in a way that, that re reveals God to the people around us. We talked about this last week. We had some chicken people in here. We're praying for them still. But the steak people get this, right? A little steak on your tenderloin. And it makes it so much better, right? Not, not too much salt, but just the right amount to begin to, to release the goodness of God in a significant way. And we're called to be salt like that in our world, that, that when we enter a relationship, the way people view relationship should be enhanced because relationships don't come from the enemy. They come from God. And we should enhance that and draw it out. When we have marriages we should be salt in marriage. And again, not the salty of the world. Some of your wives out there struggle with that just a little bit. I've seen it. I've seen it. I, and your husband's haven't been talking to me, I swear. Don't get mad at him. But I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But we should draw it out, right, in a healthy way that, that other people should look at those marriages and say, man, I want that, right? Because we've drawn out God's creation in a beautiful way. We've enhanced it. I love this. Most people presume that salts add flavor to food. 
How many of you thought that, that it's an added flavor? I thought that till I was researching this. And, and what really happens is that it releases flavor. It actually breaks down cellular walls, right, on a molecular level and releases the natural flavor. So when you put it on a carrot, it's not that it's added flavor to the carrot necessarily, but it's, it's like enhanced what, what was already there. I mean, yeah, that's all right. We're sorry. We'll pray for you too. Um, and, and so we want to draw that out, right? That, that's what we're called to do. We're not, we're not adding to. We're not adding to. We're revealing what was already there. We're enhancing and revealing and magnifying what God has already given us and brought to us. But it's beyond that. It's beyond that. So when we look at biblical times and we look at salt, it is so much more than, than we use it for today, right? Which is to, to swell up or to clog our arteries or things like that. Um, salt was a necessity of life in ancient times. It was necessity. It wasn't something that your doctor demonized. Don't let him, don't let him take away from the value of God's word. Um, it was a necessity of life. It was used by many cultures, seasoning, but it was used as, um, to preserve food, right? Right, to, to keep it from being tainted. So if we're the salt of the earth, we should preserve God's creation, right? The sanctity of marriage, right? Relationships in life. There should be a preservation to that, to disinfect. Not just to take away the old, right? So if we're salt, not only should we preserve, but we should fight back, push back against things that, that are there to corrupt what God has given us, right? If we're gonna be salt seasoning the way that God has intended it, it was used as an offering. Not only that, it was used as a unit of exchange. That, that Roman soldiers sometimes were actually paid in salt. And I thought this was interesting. Um, the word salary comes from an ancient word meaning salt money, referring to a, a Roman soldier's allowance for the purchase of salt. Someone who works hard to earn his pay is still said to be worth his salt. Right? That, that's the kind of value that we're talking about when we read that. And, and in today's culture, again, we, we skim over it. It's, it's lost on us. And so you begin to reveal the biblical context of who God's called us to be. And, and so we, when we were in our sin, right, in our brokenness, we weren't salt like this, right? We were the corruption that needed disinfected, right? We, we were the attack that, that needed um, guarded so things of God would be preserved. But as we step into our recovery, the way God's called us to, we're called to something greater. We're called to be salty, right? We're called to be salty. It continues in Matthew 14. It says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. And so when we look at light, I mean, it's, it's life. Light, light is life. I like this in John, John 1, 4 through 5, it says, The word gave life to everyone that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So, so light, light is life. We're, we're meant to, to bring life to the people around us. We're, we're meant to, to bring life to God's creation, right? I mean, God's even called us to steward over his, his creation to be life. But what else is it? To be light, it means in times of darkness that you offer hope. Uh, we're meant to, to reveal the hope of the world to, to people around us. That, that's being the light. 
But instead, we, we, we fall into this trap that, that the enemy set for us and, and we steal and rob people's hopes and, and we become discouragement and bitter and nasty, but we're called to be hope. We're called to be an encouragement. We're called to be kindness and compassion. We're called again to bring life to the people, to places, the things around us. And, and, and we let the enemy rob us of this call. And when he's robbed us of it, when we fail to be salt and light, then we fall into those old traps and those old cycles. Because apart from this calling that God's placed on our lives, again, we're bitter, we're angry, we're depressed. If we don't learn to operate in it and walk in it, we, we are called to be, again, salty and lit. But what does that mean? It means we are to offer a new way to be human that is not confronted, uh, not conformed to the destructive, violent, sinful patterns of this world. We are to be a community defined by self-sacrificial love modeled upon the cross of our Savior. We're called to be salt and light. We're called to it. It should be in every fiber of our being and desire as we walk out God's plan and purpose is to enhance and to guard and protect the world around us as we walk out our recovery. Not to be selfish and self-centered. That's the things of the world. That's still living in the trap of the enemy. And as you step out of your addiction, as you step out of your struggle, this call here is so much more important than you could ever realize. It's this type of paradigm shift that they're really pulls us to the place that God wants us to be. As we begin tonight, I want us to look at what it means to be salty and lit. And I want you to open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul. It was written to the church of Philippi. And and when Paul wrote this, I want you to keep this in mind. He was likely in prison in Rome or Ephesus. He was for sure in prison, but he was likely in prison in one of those two places. And so in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, it says this, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, where's he at? He's in prison. It's not like he's on vacation. He's sitting in a Roman prison cell, and this is unlike the cells that we would have today. I don't know if any of you have been to Rogers County Bed and Breakfast. I've spent some time there. The food's terrible. The service is worse, right? But it's nothing compared to what you would face in a Roman prison, right? Um, At least at Rogers County, you get watered-down coffee. Um, And he he says, now that... And now that I'm away, it's even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Now, it's not that our works save us, right? That's the beautiful thing because if, if we were required to work for our salvation, work to be saved, not one of us in here could complete that task, right? We would be doomed. That's part of the problem. It's, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Not one of us in here can save ourselves. Every single one of us has the exact same need for Jesus as the other one. From the, the homeless guy that, that can't stop shooting up, right? If you've been that person to the wealthy business person that has it all together, there's the exact same need for Jesus. This, this, this class differential that we have in society saying that somebody's worse off than the other person when it comes to the things of God and, and spiritual things is a lie. It's a lie designed by broken people and, and by an enemy. The, the truth is what we all need him and not one of us can work it. But 
as we encounter the living God right in and his grace and mercy and forgiveness, we should work to show the results of our salvation. As God transforms our lives, right, and impacts us, we should begin to want to give back. We should want to serve the God that saved us, right? And so that's what Paul's talking about here. Work hard to show the result of your salvation. Other people should know that you've been saved. I know there was early on in, in my walk, and this was very very convicting for me. Um, I remember I, I had a shop. Um, I was in the graphics business and I was printing and a guy brought his truck to me late at night after work and I'm putting graphics on it and I'm sitting there and I'm talking to him and I'm drinking and I'm doing all these things. And then I invite him to church and he's like, you go to church? Like, what is this? And it dawned on me, like nothing in my life and conversations, I've known this guy for months. None of it revealed that I'd had an encounter with Jesus. That's not the way it should be. Instead, I should have been working to show the results of my salvation. It should be visible to the people around me, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. So you work hard, right, not only to serve, but you work hard to obey God, to follow his commands, right? We should want to subject ourselves to what God wants, to humble ourselves to God's word, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, right? If, if you're saved, if you've encountered God, he's working in you. Or at least he should be, right? He's working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I've encountered people that just go on sinning, which God's word talks about. In Romans, you know, do you think you can just go on sinning? No, not so grace can abound more. No, that, that you should stop. There should be a conviction in you. And it goes on, it says this, um, do everything. Say everything. everything. So do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights, say lights, lights. in a world full of crooked and perverse people, right? That, that there should be something that takes place inside of us and we should begin to change, not to earn God's grace, his mercy or his forgiveness, but to reveal God's grace his mercy and forgiveness because then it's inside of us and we should want to show it. We should want to share it. We should want to draw people in. And so being salty and lit means this, that we stand out in the dark. We stand out in the dark. Now, the, 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 the light that we're called to be can't really do much among other lights. Can we get the house lights all the way up? Can we do that? Is he back there right now? There we go. So this is a cheap flashlight, right? And it's not really too bright. It doesn't shine. Can we get the lights all the way down though? So the, the more the lights are down, the more the lights revealed, right? You can put them back to normal. Um, catch that. Um, and the reason, that was terrible. That was a terrible throw and a terrible catch. You should have dove for that. What we do, though, is, is we begin to miss it. We begin to miss it because we show up with our light and we hang out with a bunch of people that, that are lit too, right? And, uh, and we don't stand out at all. We don't make any difference. If the only thing you do is show up on a Sunday and Monday with a bunch of people that already confess Jesus, right, and pursue him, I'm not saying you shouldn't be here. I'm just saying if this is the only place that you show up and be Christian, what kind of impact is your light making? It's already bright in here, right? It, it, it's already lit up. We can make so much more of an impact when we step into the dark places, right? The, the light shines so much brighter in the dark. It, it shines so much brighter in the places that are far from God. That when we step out into the world, it's so much more evident that we've been with God than when we hang out here. And now again, you should be here, right? Never forsake the gathering. 
You, sh- you should want to be here, desire to be here, because this is where, you, again, you encounter God's people, you grow, we sharpen each other, but this can't be the only place we do this. This, this can't be the only place we do it. Again, as we encounter God, or as we grow in our recovery, we've got to go and be his hands and feet, or we're missing it. And we, we struggle more. We're meant to be out there. Again, being salty and lit means that we, we stand out in the dark. Now is our time to shine. Verse 16 says this, hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I not, did not run my race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your, your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share in that joy. What joy? Pouring out your light, right? Faithful service, being utilized by God. Nothing in my life apart from an encounter with Jesus has grown me in my faith. I've spent time studying God's word and I grow from that. You should do that, right? I spend time in prayer and that's growing me and you should do that. But the thing that's growing me the most is serving the people around me, right? Acting on it, walking it out. That's the place that God's you know, polished up those rough edges the most, right? The, the place that God's revealed my brokenness and my need for him the most is with dealing with other people. That's the place that, that God does his greatest work is when I'm out in the mission field. I was reading this book and, and it's about not being a spectator, right? And we fall into that where we just show up week after week on a Sunday or a Monday with our hands out. What do you have for me this week? And then we just keep it to ourselves and we go home selfishly, never sharing it. And we come back next week, what do you have for me? And, and we fail. And, but one of the things it was talking about, it, it was so great. This one church on, on the doors on the way out, um, it had this sign that read, the real service begins now. What is your walking out? That, that's the real service. And another sign on, on the exit from the parking lot said this, you're now entering the mission field. What, what a great reminder. That, that as we again have stepped into to recovery, or faith, and God's impacted and touched our lives, what are you doing with it? It wasn't meant to stop at you. It's meant to be shared. It's meant to be shared. We're, we're meant to be leveraged for God's glory. We're meant to be utilized. We're meant to step out there and be salty and lit so other people, again, can encounter a very real, very living God. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So we look at point number two. Um, this, again, it was written by Paul. So this is the same Paul that, that wrote Philippians. Um, but he wrote this to the church of Corinth. And so um, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians um, to address a sin that was present in the church there. And then he, he wrote 2 Corinthians kind of as a follow-up because they responded positively to his first letter and began to correct kind of the, the error that they had fallen into. And so he wanted to lift them up, strengthen them, and encourage them. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us a new way, we never give up. Say never give up. Never give up. We never give up. We reject 
all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God and all who are honest know this. And so Paul's talking about himself and, and those that, that have taught there, um, but it's really a picture of what we should do as well. And it says, if the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it's only hidden from people who are perishing. Why? Because they never give up. They're out there, being the hands and feet of God, trying to reveal this. So if it's hidden, it's those that refuse to hear it, refuse to see it. So it's hidden only from people who are perishing. Um, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. And since it's blinded, they're blinded by it. That just means that we should just give up, right? God saved who he's going to save. Let the rest of the world burn. Um, I'm just grateful that I got on the lifeboat. Um, and, you know, that's the end of the story. No, not at all. I mean, for, for being salty and lit the way that God's called us to be, right? Not the way that the world's called us to be. But if we're truly being salt and light, it means that we actively push back against darkness, Right, that, that we go out with boldness, that, that we're, we act courageously to make sure that people are hearing the message, even those that, that may want to be blinded to it. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Those that want to be blinded by it or refuse to see it or hear it. And so we actively push back against darkness. The, the city of Corinth, that Corinthians, you know, the letter was written to the church there was like, it was a huge city and it was like a hub, a center. And like any big city, it was full of sin, right? Uh, we all know this. You live here. If you go to rural communities, there's, there's less active crime, less theft, less murder, less, you know, things like that. The, the bigger you get the population, it's just the way people are. They, they crowd together and they begin to do things they shouldn't do. There, there's more of it present. It's more prevalent. And, and so that, that's not a new thing. It's not unique to our culture or this day and age. It's just been what it's been. And so Corinth was like that. But because it was like that, does that mean that the church should just give up? Not at all. It says, we fear, we fear our surrounding culture is too far away from Jesus for people to hear his truth. I know me personally, there's been times where I've withdrawn when I felt God urging me to press forward and to have difficult conversations with people in my life. And, and I know this, over the last few months, I mean, God stirred me up to be louder and bolder and more in your face in a loving way than, than I've felt in a long time, right? That I feel an urgency in, in, in what we're called to do. I mean, we keep talking about this. Is this the last days, the last times? I don't know. But I know this, man, that world is crap. It's so far from God. It doesn't look anything like it looked like 20 years ago in my life. And, and so if that's what's taking place, I don't need to know anything but that. People have a need for Jesus out there. And I should have a desire, a burning desire, an urgency to be salt and light in that world, right? To reach into it and to, to put it all out on the table for Jesus. And we fear, again, that people are too far gone, the world's too broken, or people don't want to hear it. And maybe they don't. Maybe they refuse to hear, refuse to see. But shouldn't we at least try? Shouldn't we be present? And again, 
our greatest witness, it's not even our words. It's just the way that you live your life. Again, you should live your life in a way that those that don't know God but know you want to know God. And so if you're so worried about having a difficult conversation, not having the right answers, not knowing the right Bible verses or any of that, just look at your life. Are you living in a way that reveals an invisible God to people that are searching for a visible image? Does your life reflect that? Because that's what we should be doing. I look at this room every week, 200 people come just here, right? 200 plus, over 1,000 to our church. And if we all just endeavor to be salt and light day in and day out in our community, what a difference we get to make. What, what an impact we can have on the world around us. And we're so afraid, again, that culture is too far away from people to hear. But I want you to know this, nothing's impossible for God. He desires to use you to leverage your life to reach those that are far from him. And in verse um, 5, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5, it says, You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sakes. For God, who said, Let there be light and darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of of Jesus Christ. And when I was reading that, man, I was just convicted about how much time I spent talking about myself and conversations rather than at least revealing God's glory, revealing what God's done in my life, taking the opportunity, again, to share with somebody who doesn't know, who's never seen, maybe never heard that this is Jesus. This is what he's done in my life. And so it goes on. It says, we now have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not ourselves. We, we have to begin to take the focus off of our, our desire, our wills, and begin to place it on Jesus. The, the light of this world, the light that he's allowed us to steward, right, as we come into faith. As we come into God's grace, that we, we hold on to a little bit of that light. We have a responsibility to share it with those around us. Turn with me, if you would. We're going to go to Colossians 4 um, as we begin to close. And point number three, Colossians 4, verse 2 um, is where we're going to start. And it says this. And Colossians, by the way, it was written by Paul, too, and him. Paul, if you didn't know this, he wrote two-thirds of your New Testament. And the thing I love about this, um, about his life, is, is he was far from God. Um, and as Christians came on the scene in uh, Jewish culture, uh, Paul was a guy who was adamantly against it. He was a Pharisee, which was like a J Jewish leader um, and teacher, hated Christians, thought it was heresy, um, and even sought to kill them, right? But he had an encounter with God on the road to Damascus, and right, he got... got God's light. Um, and, and because of that moment, because of that um, exchange, that interaction, uh, because of the grace that he received, um, he, he endeavored to live life differently, right? He, he went around being salt and light. And, and because of that, he, he started numerous churches, wrote numerous letters through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, um, not only provided us again with two-thirds of our New Testament, but, but countless 
lives have been saved, not because of Paul, but because he allowed God to use him. Man, what a beautiful story. Um, and what a beautiful, a life well lived, right? And here we are again in Colossians 4, verse 2. It says, devote yourself to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. And I love this. Um, here Paul is again, if you didn't pick up on it, he's back in jail. Now, this isn't like your cousin who goes to jail on like, you know, a dope deal every other month. Man, he's, he's in jail for, for proclaiming the good news, right, for, for preaching. He hadn't actually done anything wrong. Um, I actually heard somebody say one time that they were kind of like Paul because they got arrested a bunch. I'm like, dude, you're totally missing it, like totally different things. You're not like Paul at all, man. You just need to get your life together. Um, but Paul's in chains here. Paul's in chains here, and he says, I love this. That's why I'm here in chains. Why? So that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious, mysterious plans. He was taking advantage of every opportunity, right? And, and even in this, living in a way, speaking in a way, acting in a way that revealed God. I don't know about you, but I would have a hard time. You know, if I was arrested on false charges, I'd been beaten. Um, man, I'm being the other kind of salty, right? Like, I'm, I'm pissed. I'm not okay, right? And, and the last thing I'm doing is being a visible image of an invisible God. But that's what we're called to do. And that's what Paul's doing. He's like, this is just another opportunity. How else was I going to reach these people in prison without being in prison with them? What a great mindset. And unfortunately... It's one we're called to, man. How difficult is that? Um, but he goes on. He says, live wisely among those who are not believers. Again, the context here, Paul is in prison. And he's saying, live wisely. I'm here reaching people that I couldn't reach otherwise. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. What if we had that type of mindset in our lives? What if we approached every situation and every encounter like Paul is here? Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be gracious and attractive so that you'll have the right response for everyone. So being salty and lit means this, point number three, that we live attractive lives. The, the amplified version of verse five and six says this, conduct yourselves with wisdom in your interactions with outsiders, non-believers. Make the most of each opportunity, treating it as something precious, right? The, the opportunity may be with the coworker that you don't like or the, the relative that you can't stand, right? Make the most of every opportunity. The, the parent that mistreated you, whoever it may be, right? Make the most of every opportunity, let your speech at all times be gracious and pleasant. That convicts me. I mean, my mouth, you, you want to see an area in my life that reveals that and I'm broken? It's this right here. And I, I, I struggle and I run it. But, man, I'm just, I'm just reminded when I read this that it's meant to be used and utilized in a way that, that glorifies God, that it's not wasted. Let your speech at all times be gracious and pleasant, seasoned with salt, so that you will know how to answer each one who question you. 
And so we're meant to live attractive lives. And um, to, to really illustrate this, this point, um, I've, I've brought this graph, um, great picture, just to kind of to help you to see if we could get that real quick. This right here is how non-believers, how people outside of the church should view your life, right? And they, they, should, be, they should be looking at your marriage going, Man, if only I had a relationship like that. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Right? That they, they should be looking at the way that you conduct your job and your, your relationships. Man, oh, man, how'd I get me some of that? Right? They should look at your kids and the way you parent. Man, get me, how'd I get me some of those kids? Right? Like, hey, how'd I get kids like that? Right? That, that's how our life should be attractive that way. But the thing that we've done is we just made our lives look like everybody else's. That, that nobody can see a difference. Our marriages look the same as everyone else's out there. The divorce rate in the church is the same as outside of the church. We're missing something, right? That our, parent, our kids struggle because we don't make church a priority. We don't make the things of God a priority. And so they have just as much a hard time as kids out there in the secular world because we've missed something. We fail to make our lives attractive. We fail to be salty and lit, right, in a way that, that people are like, how do I get that? Right? How do I get that? The way we conduct ourselves should draw people in, reveal God, should reveal God to them. We should... We should live again in a way that our lives are attractive to those that are outside of all of this. If people in your life aren't, aren't questioning how, how they have what you have, and I'm not talking about your truck, your house, right? I'm not talking about material things. If they're not asking how they can have a marriage like your marriage, you're failing. Why are you failing? Or maybe you got a great marriage and you're just a bun around a bunch of lights, right? You're not in a place where you can even stand out. That, that again, our lives should leave something desirable to the people around us that, that aren't a part of all of this. We're called to live in such a way that reveals God to those around us. And the contrast is this, Luke 14, 34 Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone who hears this should listen and understand. So we're called to be salt, but salt that isn't salty, it's trash, thrown out. I don't know about you, but I don't want to take what God's given me and conduct my life in such a way. That, it's, that it just looks like somebody else's. That you can't tell a difference between my marriage or Joe Blow's down the street that's never even heard of Jesus. Right? That there should be something different that takes place. And, and church, if, if we get this, if we understand it, and if we pursue it, I guarantee you the things of God will take on new meaning. Like you'll see them differently. You'll encounter the presence of God in a new way. If you pursue this, if you know this, if you understand it, again, for years, for years, I showed up to this very church 
and every day of my life, except Sunday morning, looked like everybody else's. And I started to question if God was even real. What's the point, right? Well, what was the point? I wasn't doing anything. What difference is this making? Well, it's not making any difference. I'm not listening. I'm hearing, but I'm not listening, right? And then we fall into that trap. And then we fall away from the things of God. And we fall back into relapse, right? We fall back into our struggles and into the lies. But, you know, we're called to something greater. We're called to be salty and lit. I want to close with this. It's a poem. And it says this. When you enter the beautiful city, it's talking about heaven. When you enter the beautiful city and the saved all around you appear, what joy when someone will tell you, it was you who invited me here. I don't know about you, but I don't want to show up at the end and, and not run into at least one person that's present because of the impact that I made. What a waste. What a selfish life lived. If I'm not bringing as many people with me as possible. And I just want to encourage you as we come into this season of life, that this, this moment right where we're at, that we stop being so selfish with our time, with our energy, with our resources, and, and we begin to, to reach into that broken world out there and start filling seats, right? Start filling life groups. <laughs> Stop, start filling Bible studies, whatever it is, and drawing people in, drawing people in. One last thing as we close, I just, just a question. How many people are in this room because somebody invited you here? And look around, and we think that it doesn't matter. We think that it has no impact. Simple invite from somebody who doesn't have to know a lick of scripture, just lives their life in a way that reveals God and encourages people to come and see. To recap tonight, point number one is this. Being salty and lit means we stand out in the dark. We're meant to look different, to act different. We're meant to stand out among a broken world. Number two, we, being salty and lit means we actively push back against the darkness. Actively push. Not, we're not passive players, right? We're not spectators. We're, we're actively in it. We actively push back. And number three, being salty and lit means we live attractive lives. Our lives, man. Read that picture one more time. I just love it. That's, that's, there it is, right? That's how people should be looking at you. We need to live attractive lives. And so everything we talked about tonight, man, it really, everything here, it pivots off a relationship with Jesus. How, how can you be light without light, right? And, and God's the light of this world. And so how can you carry that light into dark places if you've never received it? That's where it starts. And so if you're in here tonight and you've never received the grace and the mercy and forgiveness of God and, and he's just been dealing with you tonight and, and you begin to realize maybe there's something to this. 
Maybe there's something to this and, and you're ready to receive Jesus for the first time, which means you recognize that you can't save yourself, that you can't do it without him. You believe that he was the son of God, that he died and sacrificed himself to save you because you couldn't save yourself and you're ready to make him Lord, right? That authority in your life. If that's you and here in just a moment, we're gonna have some people down front and they would love to pray with you and for you and lead you to that relationship with Jesus. And then too, maybe you're in here and you've just gotten off track right? You, you lost your flavor and you, you're ready, man. I'm, I want to do anything to get it back. And you're just like, man, can I be salty again? Heck yeah. And it's, it's time to come home. And so if that's you, you're ready to resubmit, resurrender your life. Our, our same offer stands here in just a moment. We're going to have some people down front and they would love to pray with you and for you so that you can recommit your life tonight so you can come back home. And then maybe you're in here and you just, you just need prayer. You just want somebody to pray with you the things that's going on in your life. And you want to know, is there somebody that can do that? Yeah, we would love to pray with you. And then lastly, maybe there's something that you're just ready to let go of. You've been standing in the way of you and who God's called you to be. And you're ready to surrender that. If that's you, we want to encourage you to come down front and get one of our white chips. There's nothing special about it. It's a piece of plastic, but there's something special about that act of surrender. And so if you're ready, again, to surrender to God and to set things down, we want to encourage you to get a white chip. And so for any of those things tonight, to give your life to Jesus for the first time, to recommit, to get a white chip, or just to receive prayer, we want to encourage you to come down front and join us. And if everybody would, if you'd stand to your feet as we close in worship.